NWP Radio. You're listening to NWP Radio, a production of the National Writing Project. NWP. Hey, season's greetings, friends, teachers, schools, kids, and writers. My name is Brian, and I'm once again excited for a special episode of The Right Time. This one, our first holiday edition. I couldn't wait to decorate my home this year, and I have two, two very specific reasons for this. The first is I have a new puppy. Carol, Lynn, Karma, Carrot, Cupcake, and it's her first Christmas. And with the lights up, we can now have a Christmas Carol. And the second is I couldn't wait to bring Santa in the City, written by Tiffany Jackson, to the show. It's been on my radar for some time. It's out, and I pay attention. And when I saw a tweet from Tiffany Jackson that read, y'all, I really put a horror and a Christmas book out this year, literally my entire personality on display, you know I had to place an order. So I'm ready to deck this episode with bows of holly, fa-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la, and Tanya, what Christmas carols are on your mind this year? Hi, everyone. I am Tanya Baker, Director of National Programs for the National Writing Project, and I am not going to sing, as Brian often does. Um, I And in fact, as always, I'm playing the quieter, more cautious side to Brian, um, because the honest truth is, Brian, I have been listening to the song In the Bleak Midwinter for two weeks. Uh, and I think I was, I've listened to every recording of it, I think that exists, and that's a lot. And I think it's because it's about giving your heart to the world when the world is cold and hard. And it just seems like the song that I've needed this holiday season. Uh, that said, like Brian, I'm so excited to host Tiffany Jackson on The Right Time. We, <clears throat> since we began the show in the spring of 2020, Brian has said over and over and over again, we need to get Tiffany Jackson. Let's host Tiffany Jackson. And I will be honest, the first time he told me, I was like, I, who is Tiffany Jackson? And then Brian is often introducing me to new authors. And as soon as I found your work, Tiffany, I was, as I've already told you, a super fan. And so I'm a little beside myself fangirling. I can't get enough of your work. And we have her today. It's an honor to have you, Tiffany, in the studio with us, as well as Dr. Delicia Green from the University of Albany, State University of New York, a scholar who has worked with the Capital City Writing Project. Welcome to the show, both of you. Yes, and I, I get the honor of introducing Tiffany Jackson, but I, I just, I just, it's, I just, it's hard for me to stop. I'm just going to read what was written, <laughs> and with a little addition at the end. So Tiffany D. Jackson is the New York Times bestseller author of YA novels, including the Coretta Scott King, John Steptoe New Talent Award-winning Monday's Not Coming, the NAACP Image Award-nominated Allegedly. Let Me Hear a Rhyme, Grown, and 2021 titles Black Out, White Smoke, The Awakening of Malcolm X with Elijah Shabazz and Santa in the City. She received her Bachelor of Arts in Film from Howard University, her Master of Arts in Media, Studio, Media Studies from the New School, and has over a decade in TV film experience. The Brooklyn, Brooklyn native is a lover of naps, cookie dough, also cakes, and beaches, currently residing in the borough she loves most likely multitasking. 
She also has a great dog who occasionally appears in her social media feeds. <laughs> Carol has a crush. <laughs> uh. Thank you, Brian. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce today's instructional guest, Dr. Delicia Green. Dr. Green is an assistant professor in the Department of Literacy, Teaching and Learning in the School of Education at the University of Albany SUNY. She holds an affiliate appointment in the Department of Women's, Gender and Sexuality Studies in the College of Arts and Scientists, Sciences. Her work enhances teaching and learning in urban secondary literacy contexts. Dr. Green's research is at the intersection of digital literacies, black girlhood studies, rhetorical studies, urban literacies, young adult literature, and teacher ed. Her research examines black girls' literacy and language practices in out of school digital spaces and teaching strategy, <clears throat> strategies designed to bridge black girls out of school and in school literacy and language practices. Dr. Green teaches children in young adult literature, literature literacy and society, and discourse analysis courses. She has worked as a school librarian, as an English teacher, and with the New York City Department of Ed, and as a young adult public librarian, librarian in the New York Public Library. I, did I say that wrong? A young adult public librarian with the New York Public Library. She is a native of the Bronx, New York. It's a Brooklyn Bronx showdown, ladies and gentlemen. Actually, Brad's in the house. Oh my God. That is my partner in crime right there. <laughs> it's our pleasure to turn the show over to the two of you. Delicia, here's an opportunity for you to give teachers and students a writing prompt that they might think about giving to their own students should they bring Santa in the city to their classrooms. So the first writing prompt is write a, it's inspired by Grown. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> it's inspired by Tiffany Jackson's Grown. And, it, and the writing prompt is as follows. Write a mystery story using either the last online message you received or the last online message you sent. That is such a great writing prompt. Um, if I go off the air right now and let the two of you have a conversation, I am so checking my text message to see what I could come up with. <laughs> so enjoy the conversation. We look forward to listening. Awesome. What an amazing <laughs> intro. <laughs> Hi, awesome. Jackson. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. Um, when I received the invitation to um, interview you on the right time, I was so excited. Um, Brian had reached out to me and I said, well, you know, I feel like Miss um, Jackson narrates around Black girls' experiences. And in my work, I theorize around Black girls' experiences. So I felt mm -hmm. like our work certainly ran parallel to each other. And so it's an absolute pleasure to be here in conversation with you. And so I wanted to start with, if I could, um, kind of some background information about you, if that's okay. Yeah. Um, what influenced your transition from working in the television film industry to becoming a children's and young adult author? Both industries seem to kind of entail this sense of developing narratives so I wanted to know what if what influence, influence if any, did the film industry um, have on your writing as an author? Well, um, so I've always wanted to be an author ever since I was four. 
Uh, and I was sort of discouraged uh, a little bit because I come from, you know, a household, a black household where, you know, the thought of someone being an artist is kind of scary because you initially think starving artists. So I was sort of persuaded to take another avenue uh, and even uh, majoring in film was quite uh, a feat to like convince anyone that that's something I could really do. Um, but one of the things that I loved about film is the detail, the nuance of film that, you know, the colors, the richness, the textures that you could really see on screen. And what that has truly done for my writing per se is uh, I make sure that everything's incredibly cinematic. Um, I follow a, cause I, I, I've never gone to, uh, I didn't major in English. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even take any creative writing courses, honestly. Uh, I'm strictly a film nerd. Uh, so I follow the uh, screenwriting format uh, and literally apply it to building my books. Uh, so I literally use the three act structure in films or three or four act structure in films. And I use it literally to build my books um, almost to a T honestly and it was just always kind of funny because I'm like whenever everyone's all like reading my books and they're like oh I didn't see that coming I'm like how I'm literally following a, a formula at this point uh, <laughs> but um, you, I, I get it so yes it's definitely influenced a lot of how I like to tell stories how I want it to have like a, people to have um, particularly kids have a visceral reaction to the the topic at hand. Thank you for that. I know as I was reading, when I was reading Grown, I was also um, talking to a colleague of mine and she had already read it. And I was like, no, uh-uh, no, he didn't. No, <laughs> so it was like, you know, I couldn't put it down. And I was also didn't see certain things coming. I think, you know, your work is so, you know, is so easy to follow, but there are also these hooks and these turns and these bends in the story that keep you reading. So, mm -hmm. so I wanted to, you know, so thank you for that. Um, I wanted to know what author novel inspired you as a young adult and, and also as an adult, you know, so what author novel inspired you as a young adult and, and, and now what author, what, what author novel inspires, inspires you? Um, so when I was younger, um, I tell the story a lot, how I literally went from reading R.L. Stein to Stephen King and like nothing in between, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I went straight to adult books. Um, wow, so okay. uh, I didn't really have um, young adult novels that I leaned on because I, I honestly didn't even know the genre really existed. Um, until I ended up starting to query my own novel. Uh, my first novel, allegedly, I originally went out to find an agent. I queried for an agent as an adult novel. Um, and I got rejected for about over, over a year, maybe a year and a half. Um, until, and I was ready to quit writing. I was kind of like, this is ridiculous. Like I keep, you know, it's been years. And I can't seem to get published. And I, I know this book is good. Um, and then it was, uh, it was actually Tahari Jones who wrote um, American Marriage, who told me that, uh, well, your book sounds like in a young adult novel. And I was like, oh, what's that? Um, so that's how I kind of stumbled upon like young adult novels. And that was only back in 2014. Um, 
So I, I, I sort of got reintroduced to this genre. And I'm not suggesting like there are other, there are books that I didn't even realize were young adult, but I was reading it as an adult. Um, and there weren't a lot of books that had me in it per se. Mm -hmm. uh, so when people ask me like, what was that young adult novel? I always say like, you know, it was mostly poetry. Like I was mostly reading a lot of Maya Angelou and that's not young adult, but that's something that really inspired, you know, the flow of my, the flow of my thoughts, honestly. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I think one of the novels that really like still resonates with me that I still like think about every now and then, 100% uh, would be Justin Ward's Salvage the Bones. Because um, once again, that wasn't a young adult novel, but it had kids in it. And so to me, it read, like it, it straddled the line. Um, and it was, a, it's one of those, like her writing is so, there's no words, honestly. Um, and then I think of also Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. Mm -hmm. um, and notice that both of those books are, you know, they're in the adult category, but they feature children. And those are always the books that I gravitated toward. Uh, even in, you know, all the horror I was reading was always like the books that had like those main characters that were just like teetering the line. Mm -hmm. So I guess that, that was a lot of my inspiration. And as you were saying that, it made me think of, I, you know, I read a lot and write around street literature. And so it's this mm -hmm. idea of, you know, young people having in many instances um, experiences that many adults haven't had, right? They're right. You know, kind of the adultification of Black girlhood. Um, right. So it kind of teeters the line between, well, the protagonist is, is a, a young person but the experiences are very much, you know, and some aspects of the book are very much adult life. So kind of where does it, you know, where, where does, does the line? Yeah, right, right. Like I, I defend uh, the book. Um, so the first author I ever met in real life was the freshman year of my freshman year of Howard University. I went to a, a, a conference in the big like auditorium, uh, the sister to sister conference. And the author was there uh, named Sister Soldier. She was touring with her newest book, The Coldest Winter Ever. Oh. And that is the first author I ever met. First author I stood online to, you know, get to sign my book. Mm -hmm. I actually told her I wanted to be an author and she inscribed my book. She told, she said, you know, whenever you're ready, gave me her number. I never called it because I was so panicky. Right. Um, and I ended up reading the book and that is a book that I still defend like to this very day that mm -hmm. I'm like, that book had far more um, messages in it that people that people ha have missed basically. Right, right. Um, and but a lot of people like, you know, sort of look down upon it because they're like, oh, it's not a realistic story. And I'm like, no, I know a lot of girls like winter. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I know a lot of girls like winter. I grew up with a lot of girls like winter. And I think we need to acknowledge the fact that just because you didn't live that experience doesn't mean that experience doesn't exist. Yeah, that it, it doesn't belong to someone, right? Yeah. Right. So as you mentioned, you mentioned that, um, so what was your last book you read? And also what was the last movie? I know you have a, a film background. So what was the last book you read or what are you currently reading? What was the last movie you, you saw? Oh, um... Uh, I feel like I've been watching nothing but Hallmark movies the last like week. 
So I can't even tell you the name of the last Hallmark movie. It follows the formula of whatever the rest of the Hallmark movies are. Um, Around this time of year, it's nothing but like Christmas movies and Hallmark movies and love and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, The last book I read, oh, I feel like the easiest way to answer this question is to open it up. Um, Because I listen to a lot of books, uh, you know, while I'm like, you know, doing other things uh oh well one of the last books i read was the guest list by lucy foley i believe um i also was listening to wonder woman the warbringer by lee bardugo that's a fantasy novel um trying to get into the head of uh, Uh i'm uh in the middle of uh so yeah so that's like a couple and i'm reading a couple books that aren't coming out yet uh i'm doing some blurbing so i'm not allowed to talk about those yet but (laughs) i get it so it's a lot of like a lot of dual like multitasking reading okay Okay, (laughs) so you read multiple books at the same time i have you have i I always i have to kind of read one at a time but you 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 read multiple books at sometimes yeah sometimes I have to like if I'm like getting like uh and especially if I'm reading mentor text to kind of get me ready for a next story right I'll, I'll dip into different books and the only way I'm able to do that is I'm, a lot of times if I'm listening Got so it. if I'm just listening to the story uh, while I'm driving or doing right. chores or my hair or something like that like that's the way I'm able to kind of accomplish that I wanted to jump in a bit um, into Grown, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so on the cover art for Grown, mm-hmm. Chanty is serving up side eye. <laughs> well, at least that's what I see. I see yeah. side eye. Um, who is she serving side eye to and what might she be thinking? Oh, I mean, you're not supposed to have a favorite cover, but that's definitely one of my faves, man. That, that was the and cover that And then the chin was... up and then look, yes, yeah. I'm just yes, like, that, that giving was... me, she's giving okay. me something. It's, 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 she's serving up something. Um, I feel like she's really sort of judging a lot of people that are judging her. Mm. Um, because I think there is something to be said about, you know, that manipulation that she goes through throughout mm-hmm. the novel, yes. uh, where she feels like she's in the right. And that, that honestly, that happens a lot to victims who've right. been uh, groomed to be a certain way is that, you know, right. they're manipulated and, you know, the psychological warfare that they go through, they think that they're, you know, the predator that has groomed them is right. So everyone who's telling them they're wrong, mm-hmm they oftentimes are judging those people like, oh, this person is stupid. They don't know anything. Not like, you know, this person, um, the man that I'm in love with uh, and hence the man um, I'm in love with. So I think that's a lot of, and I've seen it so many times in a lot of cases where, you know, a, a woman or a young woman um, isn't is in like very fierce denial um, and fiercely are protecting the person that, you know, is actually the predator. And so that's one of the reasons. So if I, I would say anything, I think like Chanty throughout the most of the book was sort of judging other people. Thank you. And so in Grown, it seems to, to have a double meaning. Society perpetuates the, the adultification of Black girls, which entails being labeled as grown and fast mm-hmm. and hot in the pants. 
um, society also perpetuates grown men preying upon black girls, right? right. Um, even if it, it is in a form of turning a blind eye to, to what is taking place. How does grown both make visible and disrupt these societal norms? Um, I think the biggest way to disrupt societal norms is to start with kids. Um, because kids are sort of, you know, they're the ones that are really going to change the society. It's very hard to change adults. It's very hard to get adults to see clearly, especially when you have grown up with such um, standards and practices and biases. It's hard to kind of crack through that. So if we start young, if we really sort of like lay out um, the scope of a problem to a kid and put out all the facts on the table and you know, grown is really just a starting point to the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's not the full conversation in, in mm -hmm. itself. And, but if you do put out all the facts, um, kids really pick it up and they mm -hmm. understand it. And I've gone to so many digitally, virtually, I've gone to a lot of school visits where and I always see a light bulb click over a boy's head. And they're like, wow, I never even thought of that. Or they'll, they'll hear another like, you know, version of facts. And then you see it from a character's point of view, you see it from a victim's point of view, and it totally changes the way that they actually see things. And they're able to sort of have these conversations with adults who are oftentimes victim blaming. And so I believe when, if we need to change um, societal norms, we need to start with kids. We need to start with the people who are, the young people who are actually going to change the earth. And that's always been my mission. So oftentimes when people ask me about my books, if they're a little too hard hitting, I'm like, you know, in like two, three years, these children are going to be voters. Mm -hmm. They are going to be adults in the world. Mm -hmm. They are going to be the ones that are going to change some of these practices. And they're gonna be able to um, work with organizations that are gonna be able to help these victims. So yes, I do want to talk to those kids about these type of, um, especially the stereotyping and adultification, as you mentioned, of young black girls. Um, with the study that's been done at Georgetown, I mean, these are like viable facts. Yeah. Um, and so whenever I present grown uh, to classrooms, I always pull up this video that literally brings an entire, like this is exactly what happens to black girls. Mm -hmm. And the fact that these are like, these are statistics. You can't really argue with statistics. No one's lying here. These are actually just like factual statistics. These aren't opinions. Um, and once you bring those type of things to the table, it, it changes the dynamic of how people address um, the problems at hand, I suppose you could say. It, it makes kids look at their peers differently. I wanted to also, on um, the next question, um, I wanted to shout out um, Dr. Marcel Haddix and Dr. Courtney Malden, they're at um, Syracuse University and they're mm -hmm. just finished reading Grown with some young young black girls um, in mm -hmm. the community and the, the, the book club is called Breed Love. And so this mm -hmm. question is from that, from the, from the group. What are broader messages about consent that you wanted to convey in the novel Grown? I think it's a hard question. I mean, not hard in the sense that like, you know, I know that the message I wanted to, you know, really relay is that, cause there are, there, to back up, 
there are two relationships that happen in this book uh, mm-hmm. that are, you know, one's age inappropriate. And there is another one where the boy is over 18, the girl is younger, but there is respect and mutual respect mm-hmm. and love there. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important. And then there's, you know, parents who are in love with each other. There are so many relationships and so many examples. And I wanted to make sure that it was very clear from the very, from the jump that there is a huge difference between Enchanted's relationship and everyone else's relationship in the book. And everyone else's relationship book is the book, is the relationship standards that you should uphold. But that is what you really should lean towards. Um, I also feel that, you know, a lot of times when it comes to consent, um, there is guilt involved. I, I also, you know, I was a girl who a lot of the grown experiences come from my own experience because I was in an adult age inappropriate relationship um, as a 15 year old and my first boyfriend was 22. And a lot of the guilt that I went through was, you know, my, it was manipulation. And so now when I talk to girls about, you know, this book and I talk about the ideas of consent and, you know, what is comfortable and what is right and what is, you know, the secrets that you keep, you know, I often talk about like, you know, do you, do you, if someone actually knows they're doing wrong, like they, like you could tell when a person knows they're doing wrong because they're trying to keep it a secret. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, that's a huge, that's a red flag as a kid always say now red flag red flag right that, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's um, everything is hashtag red flag but it's so yeah it's so yeah you're so right um so I wanted to if I can jump into Santa in the city yes your first picture book I'm hoping won't be your last um so Santa in the city is your first picture book um, what was your experience like writing your first picture book and then second, second part of that is what was your process as an author while working with illustrator Reggie Brown? What so so, mm-hmm. so um I picture books are hard. I'm, I'm just gonna put that out there. It's probably <laughs> the hardest book that I, I mean, I feel like I went through a lot of drafts of this book, and the book is not even a thousand words. Um, but there's something to be said, and that's why I feel like picture book authors are the most amazing authors out there because they have to convey a story within a certain minimum word count. And the artist basically takes those words and they do with it what they will. Um, You can give a little creative direction here and there, um, but Mm -hmm. otherwise uh, you're, you're kind of going in blind at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And that was a really new experience for me, especially, you know, I'm a bit of a control freak. And so. <laughs> I, I like, yeah, I'm a little type A-ish. I'm very type A. So basically <laughs> what happens is that you write a story, you give it to the editor and the editor gives it to the artist and you and the artist don't talk like at all. So okay. for me, it's like, there's an artist out in the world I'd never met before and he's just working on my words and I'm just like, I have no control of the situation. Um, and you do get like a um, couple of like pages back just to be like, you know, here's the direction we're going and you can give like little notes, but otherwise you don't really have a lot of control. And, and that's why it's so important to have, to lean into an artist that, you know, you trust and um, trust their vision. 
and trust their technique. And I really love uh, the way Reggie brought the Santa to life and Deja to life. And so it was really an amazing experience towards the end where, you know, the book was done and then we finally got a chance to actually talk. And I was sort of um, saying how, I really wanted to have, you know, I, I went to a pretty, di- I went to a pretty diverse school in Brooklyn. I went to um, PS261 in Brooklyn, New York, and um, we had all kinds of kids. And one of the kids that I went to school with was in a wheelchair and Reggie was able to accomplish that and put that in the book as well too. So I think it's important to just represent all kids um, from all dynamics of life. Thank you. Well, I wouldn't have, I would have never thought you and um, Reggie Brown did not speak, <laughs> right. or have several meetings, and then, you know, <laughs> then get on the same page with this or that, like just the way the relationship, because I talk a lot about this in my children's literature class with my students, just the relationship between illustrations and text, you know, it's just this mm-hmm. dance that happens. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times in order for that dance to be in sync, you know, you, you wonder how much behind the scenes conversations are had while it's being crafted. Mm-hmm. And so as you're talking to me, I'm just like, that's amazing that, you know, um, you and him had not had conversations and yet the book does this dance, if you will. Yeah. The illustrations and the print are in sync, you know, in such a beautiful way. So I just want yeah. to to say that um so how you mentioned that picture books are, you know much more of a challenge to write um mm-hmm. how similar different is your process of writing a young adult literature text and a children's literature text and also do you do you plan to write more children's books in the future i hope so but um Yes. So I think, uh, I mean, I feel like this idea was such a bolt of lightning. Um, it, it, it just, it was a, it was due to a conversation I was having at a conference uh, with a couple of writers who were like, you know, you should totally write a picture book. And I was like, I don't know what I would write about. I mean, I only have like one maybe story. And I explained how um, when I was growing up, um, I believed in Santa until I was like 10 or 11. And it was because my mother, um, I always had a lot of questions about Santa and, and she would have all the answers. Like I used to ask like, how does Santa visit us if we don't have a chimney? Cause we lived in a Brooklyn apartment. And she said, oh, well, Santa has a key like the super. And she had very practical answers for like everything. And she had the whole, my, all my family, my neighbors, all the bodegas, everyone was involved in keeping up this charade to the point that I used to go back to school and, you know, kids would try to tease me and be like, oh, there is no Santa. And I would be like, well, it's Santa probably doesn't bring you presents because you're bad because Santa brings me presents. (laughs) And they would be like, well, how does he do this? And I have all the answers. And like, literally you could see the wheels turning kids. I'm like, huh. So, um, I think that, and I, and I, I told these other writers the story and they were like, that is a whole picture book. And I'm like, really? So yeah. trying it out and like kind of giving it to my agent and we like, you know, exchanged some notes. It was very much a, I feel like I was throwing like, you know, spaghetti at the wall and seeing what, what stuck. <laughs> 
um, relying on other picture book authors to sort of like guide me and like um, Leah Henderson read it over, Olivia Cole read it over, like, you know, so many people really like um, guided me through the process. Uh, I definitely am going to write another picture book. Um, I feel like there are so many stories to tell because, you know, I, I'm, I, I grew up, I'm the city kid and you know, our um, childhood experiences really differ from a lot of the books that I grew up reading. Mm -hmm. I didn't, yeah. I didn't grow up in a house, so I didn't have the experiences that I always saw other people had in homes with yards and driveways and cars. Like I didn't have a lot of that. Yeah, that's, um, that's the same with me. Yeah. Yeah. So my, my next picture book is actually takes place during Halloween and it talks about the idea of, you know, where kids go trick-or-treating in the city because um, we have so many options. We, you know, we either trick-or-treat in a par huge apartment buildings. Uh, we have harvest parties. Um, we trick-or-treat down like Smith Street or Court Street. Um, mm -hmm. We have so many different options and, you know, versus like what maybe kids would do in the suburbs where they have like right. houses to go to. Um, so it's a different sort of um, experience. And I think it's important, there's so many cities with kids that I feel like it's important to actually have that described. And I feel like that our, our stories are just as worthy um, to be told. And if that's, if this, and to me, and I was just having this conversation earlier today with another author, I was like, you know, I feel like this is gonna be my legacy um, where I, I talk about my childhood um, in such a positive manner because people always think that you know oh growing up in the cities are so yeah. dangerous and like you know I had the best time of my life was so did I have. so did I when I, I show people that I'm from the Bronx they like and I don't say it with you know you know yeah don't get a downtrodden energy around it I say I'm from the Bronx yeah so yeah and so I, and I'm and I you know you know you don't know what to do with that you know because there's so much of that stuff that they have to unpack but you know that you know so you do you you know you don't feel you don't want to feel like you have to oversell where you're from where you're right. from and what your experience is is what it is and so I've had a you know wonderful you know experiences growing up but it, it's just yeah. kind of the 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 oh you know just the 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 tone and tenor uh, that people <laughs> place yeah. on my experience. I suppose it's good. I don't know why you, what, what are we doing? Yeah. So. <laughs> like, I, 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 like, I acknowledge that a lot was going on during the 90s. Oh, I, yes. I, acknowledge, I, I acknowledge that completely. Yes, absolutely. But doesn't, but doesn't mean that, you know, my childhood wasn't filled with joy and love. Absolutely, absolutely. And family. And I feel that, you know, um, especially for kids, like, you know, I don't want them to also feel ashamed right. um, because they don't have the same experiences they see in all these other picture books that are pushed in front of them. Um, so I think it's important for us to have those type of, I mean, I think about going to the library and how like, I never saw books with me on the cover face out um ever as I was growing up and I I was surrounded by libraries so right. I feel like that's something that is also um it's important that we be intentional about how we sort of pivot the narrative so that kids can be proud of you know their experiences or their childhood mm -hmm. or what they are going through at that moment and you know look at it with positivity rather than shame thank you I wanted to add, this is the you know, final question. Um, and so it really talks about 
and focusing on black girl geographies and that, you know, mm-hmm. black girls have many different experiences um, and how you capture city life in this book. And so in a lot of ways, it made me really think about my own experiences because I grew up in the Bronx and everyone lived in an apartment building, at least people, you know, yeah. in the neighborhood. no one lived in, lived in a house. And so mm-hmm. um, central to the story are elements of city life, including apartment buildings, Ortiz Bodega. <laughs> you know how central bodegas are to New York City. Yeah. Right? You, you, you already know. King <laughs> Plaza Shopping Center and apparel repping Brooklyn. Why was it so important to capture a young Black city girl's curiosity about Santa's access to her apartment? How does Santa in the city depict an inclusive Christmas for not only Deja, but all children? Um, I think when we when we talk inclusivity, we, we need to think about, you know, places that people live and their culture. Um, my culture was rooted in West Indian culture. So a lot of times, you know, I've spent summers in Jamaica. I've gone away to um, Christmas for Jamaica and I would have all these questions of how Santa is going to find me. You know, we only have snow out here. Um, <laughs> But then I also think, you know, when we first started to uh, pitch this book, I thought also about kids who live in like Miami, who never experienced snow and they only have like palm trees or, you know, kids who live in in the desert or California, like how everyone's experiences are also different. And it doesn't even have to be a, an apartment building in a city. It's also about just the fact that, you know, everyone's environment isn't always the same. And so we shouldn't just fall back on the default that it should be, you know, a house with, you know, 2.5 children, a mom and a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's important for us to, inc- like, like you mentioned, like having that inclusivity, making sure that kids feel um, secure and safe and also exposing kids to different environments because a lot of times when you fall back on the default, they often find themselves surprised by anything that is different. Absolutely, because it becomes this single, you know, there's a single story. Right. Right. And I think Chichamanda Ngozi talks about this idea of the danger of a single story. If you see something repeatedly and you don't see other representations um, racially, ethnically, culturally, um, geographically, Mm -hmm. then everything else that doesn't fall within this dominant narrative is seen less than or not seen at all or pathologized if seen, right? So... Oh, yeah, but shout out to your mama because I think your mama really <laughs> she inspired this. Inspired your mama. <laughs> I mean, she she definitely is taking all the credit here because I mean, a lot of a lot of my creativity comes from the fact that she was just an awesome liar, and I just I find that that's where I was like I'm I'm really like reaching back to that to her ability straight face being able to tell me all the different things that are happening and it does like bring up the idea of you know the idea that everyone thinks that there's only a white Santa and I always have to explain to people I'm like Santa is a magical being he is all he is all things so do not fall into the trap of just like the default like imagine your Santa is whoever he is whoever he shall be is going to be able to service you. Is going to be able to bring you joy no matter what. You do not have to believe that it's only this type of person. There's only this type of being. 
So I think it's important for us to uh, lay that foundation from all angles, from parents, from homes, from schools, from libraries. I think it's important for us to, you know, keep the door of inclusivity open. I hope that's a word right. Oh, I just want to, <laughs> want to point out that there's several other things that are magical besides Santa. Yeah. One is this book. <laughs> Two is yeah. Two is yeah. And three is the Bronx. You two in conversation with one another was absolutely magical. It was brilliant. It was wonderful. So much I had to get my frog Santa out, you know, with a can't <laughs> in the season. Um, what a wonderful dialogue the two of you just had. And I'm so thrilled that we're going to be able to share this with teachers and writers and kids all across the country. This is beautiful. And I have one, I have one more. I know this question is not on me. Y'all are going to kill me. But I want to know since we, before we start going to the closing prompt, um, Tiffany, I wanted to know what advice do you have for children, adults, anyone that is looking to be a, become or be a writer, um, either professionally or in their spare oh, yeah. time? What advice do you have to anyone that is looking to um, tell their story or stories? Mm -hmm. Um, I always say these two things and, you know, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but it is what it is. Um, lean into rejection. Re rejection is nothing but redirection in the right direction. That is literally the universe saving you from a closed door that you don't want to be a part of. So thank it and go to lean into what you really should be going towards. Um, also, it is 100% humanly impossible for everyone to like you um it's just impossible like it's literally an impossible fact this is something that like I learned from a therapist and it literally brought me so much joy um because a lot of times you know as writers we get really tied up into uh rejection and criticism and you know we get tagged and we get tagged in like trash reviews and all that kind of stuff and it made me re and it made me realize that you know I'm focusing so much on this rather than focusing on the love. And I always focus on the love. And you know, the more you focus on the love and the joy that you actually are receiving, you get that 10 times more. So once I stopped paying attention to the people, because those are not my audience, those are not my people. And I started to actually focus on my people, on my readers, that readership blew up. So to me, I feel like that's the biggest part is to not focus on, you know, the negativity and what you're not getting and what you aren't like achieving and focus on what you are achieving. Um, so I guess those are my two things I always tell people. It's really about like, you know, pivoting your mindset on how you work. And that's on any level. That's in your teaching career. That is like a student, like whatever it is, um, it's making sure that you are mentally sane to kind of go into the world um, and not focus on all the negativity because that's only going to bring you down that's never going to help you achieve your goal thank you for that thank you so much um so we love your work you know thank you of course we love you and we are happy we just look forward to you know any future work that you have and we look we, we just look forward to you know what the universe mm -hmm. has for you um as a creator so as a yeah. queen, so. Sure shout out to you and your mama. Shout out to your mama. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to your mama. Yeah, <laughs> Linda Jackson definitely wants to shout, shout out. out. Yeah, shout out to her. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I guess the last, um, this is the closing writing prompt. Um, the first okay. one was inspired by Grown, and this one is inspired by Santa in the City. Write a letter to Santa about a problem in society that you would like resolved and why it is important. Okay, so write a letter to Santa about a problem in society that you would like resolved and also share why it is important. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. And I'm going to. I would have put it on along. the screen, but my Zoom application is acting bananas. It's, it's good. I'm going to write my letter to Santa Claus probably as a blog tonight. But I do have to tell you, I checked my last text from Delicia before the show began. Bri, <laughs> you took on my question about the side eye? I have to add that one back in. That one is my favorite. I'm sure no one has ever, ever asked her about the enchanted side eye on the cover. Right? And that was it. No, um, no one has. Oh, let, me, let me just tell you a little bit, um, if I can. And, and you talked about being type A. So I understand. I just feel like we are kindred spirits. <laughs> and many, for many reasons. You're Brooklyn, I'm Bronx. Yeah. <laughs> We're both doing work on, on Black girls and, and ways that, you know, share their voices. And um, I had sent the list of questions um, to Brian, and I believe it was Stephanie. Well, they were like, well, where's your question? I was like, I'm working on it. I just got to sit with it first. I can't just, y'all just, I, this is what I'm saying in my head. I can't just, it takes me time. It took me over a few days. I just really wanted to be, and I want to ask you things that I know you do a lot of press. So I just also wanted to ask questions, some of which I'm sure there was no way around you um, some of the questions, of course, being questions that you've been asking, but I also wanted to kind of ask things that maybe people haven't asked you. So that kind right. of, you get, you, you know, you do a lot of press, I'm sure. And no, so when I he, think that was an awesome question. Yeah, so he said to me, so he said to me, we spoke, we talked today, he was like, oh, I just consolidated some of the questions. And I, in my head, I was like, consolidated. So when I saw the, <laughs> when I saw the, what is it? The show, what do you Ooh, call it? Right. The show planner, planner? Yeah, the show yeah. planner. When I saw the show plan, I texted him. I said, "Uh, uh-uh, Brian, you, you <laughs> took out the quite. You took the quite. You come on, Brian. You well, have a certain amount of time. Okay, put it back in. Put it back because uh, I was gonna put it back in anyway. But I was like, no, I got I got to ask you know because you know you know we both from the city. You know we know a side eye. I know. Yeah. And we know situations that are side eye. And right? I will get it from Brian, now you on. messing up my you messing up my little flow. What I'm trying to do. He was like, okay, put it back. Put it back Wait. in. It's okay. It's okay. But my second, my that was the Tanya text, but my, or that was the, the Delicia text to me, but then I was texting Tanya during the show. And one of the things- Oh, you are I, not. No, 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 no. I was just going to point out that I was like, Delicia knows what she's doing and she's closing this show off herself. That is a brilliant question. She, she's got it. So I'm like, I, I apologize. Cause I was like, we gotta, we gotta condense stuff. And I'm like, uh-uh, you got, you, you ran with it. You were a phenomenal interview. Yeah, I was like, no, that guy didn't, he, I didn't even ask him, well, Brian, can we put that? Like I was, I text him and say, Brian, you took, Barbara, you took up my question. You got, I said, you I, got, got I need it. that, that question gotta be up in there. I need that question in there. I'm putting it back in. I didn't even wait for him to respond. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. But it's been an absolute, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a pleasure yeah. to meet you. It's been a pleasure thank to meet you. you on Zoom and then meet you by way of narrative. And I thank you, Brian, as well as Tanya. I appreciate you all for, for you know, helping to coordinate all of this. So thank you.
And we have a closing that comes from Berkeley. So I'll let Tanya close out the show. And then we can... <laughs> I'm just laughing because I thought what Brian was going to do is read you this other text that I sent him, which is like, which said, now I'm even more in love with Tiffany Jackson. <laughs> he also watches Hallmark movies all oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Yes, fully like in it right now. Fully I have it. a bit. I have a bingo card, a Hallmark bingo card. And every movie I'm like, oh, sing Christmas carols. <laughs> I don't know if you saw the last Oprah magazine advertisement for them where you could, um, you, it, it was a decision tree how to pick a Hallmark movie. Do you Ooh. want it to be past or future? Do you want, like, so, then it would lead you to the perfect Christmas movie. Wow, I love that. Anyway, I want to thank everyone for this beautiful show right before the holidays. I hope that it gets Santa in the city mm -hmm. into everyone's hands. I feel compelled to say that it that I know who you're writing for and how important it is, but as a little girl who grew up in a place where everybody seemed to look the same and live in a house with a driveway, it was books like yours that made me imagine a bigger world and a different place that I could live. So many of us need the characters and the, and the context that you're putting out in the world. And I am so thankful to you for that. Oh, thank you so much. I, I'm, I'm glad that's like, I'm glad people are understanding my mission. So thank you. <laughs> Delicia, you are an amazing interviewer. Brian, you are my favorite co-host. Um, and listeners, we are glad you are here. We want you to go get Santa in the City and all of Tiffany Jackson's other books for your winter holiday break. Um, we hope that you will tune in for the next right time and um, you should sign up at nwp.org to follow our newsletter so you never miss an episode because they are amazing just like this one <laughs> thank you everyone and good thank you have a, good a production of the national writing project nwp nwp radio